All right, good morning. Hope you are doing well today. Pastor Jesse, I'm impressed. That was a very impressive children's sermon. Bailey and I are going to have to step up our game, man. I don't know who I got to see to get some lights like that, but maybe Amazon Prime or something. Um, but I am excited to, be, to have the opportunity to preach this morning. Um, I honestly can't think of a, a better day to, procro- to proclaim the Father's love and Father's Day. So I'm very excited about that. I uh, want to share with you guys the name of the title. Um, we'll be in John 12, verses 27 through 36. And the name of the title would be, The Son's Story Shines for the Father's Glory. Try to help it rhyme so we can remember it. The Son's Story Shines for the Father's Glory. Before I begin today, I wanted to first take a moment uh, just to thank God, to thank Pastor Jesse, to thank Red Cross for the opportunity to work full-time over the summer. Um, And also, um, it's just such a blessing to be able to exercise spiritual gifts. Uh, Doing what I love, which is ministry, in order to help those I love, the youth and the church, and also to help provide for my family. I just want to say I really appreciate you guys. Um, I can honestly say that I am um, blessed to be a part of Red Cross and to work alongside of Pastor Jesse. Uh, he truly is a wonderful shepherd, and I'm fortunate to be able to call him friend. I'm very humbled and grateful for the opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. Uh, and like I said, I can't imagine a better day to proclaim it. Uh, the Father's love. So without further ado, let's pray so we can begin. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, we, we just take a moment to adore You, Lord, to Acknowledge that You are a God, merciful, patient, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, good to all. Um, Lord, you, you give us the privilege to come to You um, as our Father, Lord. Our, our spirits cry, Abba, Father. I thank You for that, God. Um, Lord, we confess that apart from Your work that You've accomplished, Lord, that we, we would have no other way to come to You, Lord. Uh, God, we thank You for that. What You have done, what You will do, what you are doing. Father, I just pray that you would um, use me as you see fit this morning, God. I'm encouraged by the fact that you can speak through anything, Lord. You've spoken through donkeys in the Bible. You can speak through me this morning, God. And um, I pray that, that you would receive all honor, glory, and praise, Lord, for this is your word for your people. Um, and I pray, God, that you would just open hearts and ears and eyes to receive it. And we know that it won't return void, and we thank you for that. We ask this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so to begin, I'd just like to start off with a question to kind of get our minds kind of working here, kind of warming up. Um, I know we're all aware that today is Father's Day, but I want to ask a question. What is Father's Day truly all about? I know that a lot of people would say, well, it's a day the world seeks to honor their earthly fathers, and I think that's correct. They do. But what if your earthly father was not very honorable? And even if they were honorable or are honorable, how might we rightly honor them? Some might say, well, you can honor your father through buying them a card, buying them a gift, or maybe taking them out for a meal, spending some time together. I think those things are all fine and well. But I'm here to humbly tell you today that is not the purpose and reason we are here. That is not the reason the saints are gathered together in an act of corporate worship or at least it shouldn't be, then what should our focus be on? We are here today 
for the same reason we are here every single Sunday. To worship, honor, and praise our Heavenly Father. And to exalt our risen King. That's our purpose. Um, if we're honest, I want to take a moment just to take a, a biblical comparison of fathers to kind of back that up what I've said biblically. We take a look at the Bible. I believe we will see that, yes, we are to honor our fathers and mothers. The Ten Commandments clearly say that. But also, there is no earthly father worthy of all honor and praise. As a matter of fact, before we begin diving into the main text, I want to back that up. And I'm going to do that with Scripture. A biblical comparison is a father. And if you would like to follow along, just, just briefly, I'll be in uh, Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. It says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if his son asks for an egg, give him a scorpion? If you, fathers, earthly fathers, then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will the, will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Yes, we should honor our earthly fathers. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But how much more so our heavenly one? In this comparison, we can see that even the best of earthly fathers are to be considered as evil when compared to our holy and righteous heavenly father. Even on our best days as dads, myself included, we fall so short of that holy standard. Church, I pray you're not grieved over that statement. Instead, I pray you would rejoice over the fact that God can redeem all of that. I pray we would find encouragement and peace through coming to grips with the fact that we cannot outcompete our Heavenly Father for His love. If we were to look elsewhere in Scriptures, Christ takes this even one step further. Jesus said in Luke 18, 19, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, of course, Christ is good. For Christ and the Father are one. John 10, 30 says that. I believe Jesus is trying to make the point that although God is good, no one else is. For all men sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we have no good apart from Him. Lastly, Matthew 23, 9, where Christ tells us, call no man your Father on earth. For you have one Father who is in heaven. Wow. Jesus actually commanded that we call no man on earth our Father. For we have one Father who is in heaven. If we search the Scriptures, we will truly come away with a special reverence for our holy Heavenly Father. One that should not be shared with anyone else. Again, God alone is worthy of all honor and praise. But how can we honor our Heavenly Father? Today or any day for that matter. It's not exactly like we can take Him out to eat or get Him a card. What could we possibly offer the Creator of all things? What could we possibly give Him that He didn't at first already give to us? I can think back to when I was a young boy and I asked my dad for some money around Father's Day so I could go and buy him a gift. I didn't really understand that I was purchasing his present with his own money. And that's kind of, uh, it's kind of how things are in that understanding, right? I mean, um, it kind of takes away from the gift. You know, you purchase something with his own money. 
And he was gracious and he accepted it. And he said, oh, thank you. That's so kind. But it's a very similar experience when we think we can give God something. We can offer Him something. Or we can do something for Him. So then, what could we possibly do as a way to honor the Almighty? For that, we will look to Christ. And what can be made known about Him as revealed in the Holy Word of God. For Christ is the Word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. So, I would like for you to take out your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, um, the one in front of you, the blue one, is our gift to you here at Red Cross. We do not want the children of God leaving here today without their Father's Word, especially on Father's Day. Turn with me, if you will, to John 12. We'll be focusing our attention on verses 27 through 36. And as soon as you've found your place, please stand with me in the honor and reading of God's Word. The title is, The Son of Man Must Be Lifted Up. Verses 27 through 36. It starts off, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. But Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Thank you. You may be seated. I believe if we were to study Christ's story, He will show us four ways we can glorify our Heavenly Father. We know that Scripture tells us to follow the example He set for us. In 1 Peter 2.21, it says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. That reminds me of a quote by Valdi Balcom, which is very applicable for today. It says, If I as a father teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, but fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, then I have failed as a father. I believe the same thing could be said in, across churches in America today. If we teach you to keep your eye on man, but fail to teach you to keep your eye on the Son of Man, then we have failed as pastors. So church, keep your eyes fixed on Christ this morning. He is the Son of Man. And look for four ways you can glorify your Heavenly Father. In order to help us remember them, they will all start with the letter S. Again, if we look to the life of Christ, we will see that the Son sacrificially serves, 
He suffers, He saves, and He shines all for our good and His Father's glory. As we begin in verse 27, we can see that the text start out, it starts out with by Christ saying, Now is my soul troubled. Ask yourself, why is the Prince of Peace soul troubled? I believe it is because Christ, being truly God and truly man, knew where the Father was sending Him to the cross. There, He would take on the sins and shame of the world and experience an, ex an excruciating separation from His loving Father in order that we might have our sins atoned for and be united to Him. In my study this week, I came across a beautiful statement in Matthew Henry's commentary that Pastor Jesse got for me. It said that sin, the sin of our soul, is the trouble of Christ's. And His sorrows were designed by the Father to ease our own. He went on to state that the more entirely the Son of Man and Lord of glory emptied Himself out on that cross, the brighter the proof of His love shined for us to see. Christ was troubled over what was about to take place. He expressed this struggling over His mission when He said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. When Jesus wrestled over the reality of His calling, notice He asked a rhetorical question. What shall I say? Father, save me from this? Save me from this hour? No. For Christ knew that the cross was the Father's plan from the beginning. It was His entire purpose and reason for coming down to the earth. And He was willing to endure it along with any other amount of suffering if it meant not only glorifying His Father, but doing His will. 1 Peter 1, 18-20 backs that up. It says, Knowing this, you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. Church, praise God for Christ's faithfulness to the Father's glory. Jesus knew the entire purpose and reason for coming to the earth was to be sacrificed for our sake. He knew that He was to be brought here as the true Passover Lamb. That He was to be a sheep led to the slaughter. And yet, astonishingly enough, He lived His entire life in an act of service unto His butchers. Until His last breath left His body on that tree. Christ was content with suffering if it meant the will of His Father was accomplished. His desire was to honor the Father by glorifying Him in all that He did. And He did just that. Truly and fully in His life, in His death, and in His resurrection. We know that He did that by how the Father responded. Verse 27, Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. I believe God, His heavenly Father, was saying, I have glorified it through your sinless life. And I will glorify it again 
through your sacrificial death and resurrection, it's important to understand that just because Christ knew of His Father's plan, that didn't make it any easier or painless to bear. Christ was truly God, and He was also truly man. He felt in every way as we felt, and yet He remained faithful until the bitter end. You know, that passage is actually just one of three places in the Bible where the Father publicly voiced His approval of His Son out loud. The other two places the Father audibly spoke was at His baptism and His ascension into heaven. In a side note, today if someone comes to you saying that they heard the audible voice of God, be sure to lovingly respond by asking them if they were reading their Bible out loud. Check out Hebrews chapter 1 in your own time if you didn't quite catch that. Anyways, let's see how the crowd responded to actually hearing the audible voice of God out loud. It says that the crowd stood there and heard it, and they said that it had thundered. Others said an angel spoke to them. How sad. How incredibly sad it is for men to suppress the truth instead of surrender to it. They wrote it off. They would rather believe a storm was approaching or an angel spoke than acknowledge in the very voice of God. They wanted to accredit the creation over the Creator. And doesn't the same thing happen today? When God's Word is proclaimed, mankind either has to submit and obey or they will try to suppress it and obscure it. May this be a warning to all of those who do. Romans 1, verses 18-19 through 19 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be made known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. You know, Christ is the Good Shepherd. Jesus in the midst of His own anguish, showed concern for His sheep by telling Him, that voice, that voice has come for your sake and not my own. I find the compassion of Christ amazing. That even in the midst of His soul's suffering, He had concern for the crowd. And He desired to show them the love of the Father by stating, this is for your sake, not my own. Church, if... Please know that if God wanted to speak to His Son, He could have intimately whispered to Him in His heart. But the Father wanted what was spoken to have been heard and recorded for our sake. Jesus knew the Word of God, for He was the Word of God. We know that from John chapter 1 where we're told, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Later on in verse 14 it says, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Christ. You know, as we continue through John 12, Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to Myself. And He said this to show what kind of death He was going to die. There's so much in there to unpack. There's so much goodness in there. I don't want to miss it. I want to start with the first truth. The ruler of the world being cast out. 
some quick observations as to who this ruler is. I believe Scripture teaches it's Satan. In your own time, if you'd like to read the story of Job or perhaps read through Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, you'll you'll come away with that. What's interesting is that the Bible says now is the time of judgment. And now is when Satan is cast out. So when is that time? What is happening? When Christ, who is the Son of Man, is lifted up on the cross. So, do do me a favor. Just for a moment, ask yourself, where does judgment take place? Because it said, cast out of judgment. Where does judgment typically take place? I would say a courtroom. And I want to briefly just set the stage momentarily for a biblical courtroom. All right? In a courtroom, typically you've got a couple people. You have a couple things happening. Number one, you have to have a judge. Number two, you have to have a plaintiff, a defendant, and an attorney. So a judge is someone who decides the case. A plaintiff is someone who brings a charge against another. And the defendant is the one who has the charge brought against them. And usually the defendant will hire an attorney to represent them, to defend their case. So biblically, we're going to fill these roles, okay? Number one, the judge. I'm going to say that God is the judge of all. And the reason I'm going to say that is because Hebrews 12.23 says that. God is the judge. So, the advocate. Jesus Christ is the advocate. He is the attorney. The reason I'll say that is because 1 John 2.1 says, My children, I'm writing these things to you that you might not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. I don't know about you, but I like that. I like having Jesus as my advocate. If God the Father is the judge, and Jesus Christ is the advocate, and the two are one, man, that's a pretty, it's a pretty strong case. So, who is the defendant? Who is the per- I'm sorry, who's the plaintiff? Who's the one bringing the charge? I would say that's Satan. Satan, Revelation 12.10 says, is the accuser of the brethren. And against us, the defendant. And we, we can even see the outcome of that court case in Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation 12, verses 10 through 11. It says that the accuser of the brothers, which is Satan, has been thrown down. And Satan will accuse them day and night before God. Well, how? How'd that happen? How, did, how was he cast down? It says that they, were, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. So, where does this judgment take place? At the cross. When our sins were washed away, Satan lost all hope of a victory in that court case. He was cast out. And I pray that we would hold fast to that precious truth. I pray that that would be our confidence this morning to go before the Father. The second thing I want to focus on is the Son of Man, Christ, being lifted up. This is so huge. I've, I've, never, I've never really kind of saw this fully until this week. And it, it kind of resonated with my heart. And I hope the same thing happens in yours. When the Son of Man is lifted up from the earth, when He said, I will draw all people to Myself, have you ever really truly ever pondered that? Think about His posture on the cross. Think about His position for a moment on the cross. Christ, who was the Son of God, who came to the earth as the Son of Man, was suspended 
above the earth, scholars say that he would have been lifted up around 11 feet in the air. 11 feet off the ground. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that distance was enough to fill in the space that separated both heaven and earth. That that was long enough to bridge the gap between the two. Through His flesh being broken and His blood being poured out, His life and His death on that cross closed the separation between us and the Father. Between where we are on this earth and where He is in heaven. And with His last breath, as it left His body, He said, it is finished. When He hung there in that posture, in that position, He permanently displayed His great love for us. Just like a father with his arms spread wide, the Jesus Storybook Bible says, Son, I love you this much. Not only that, but he remained there in that same posture, in that same position, prepared to receive any of his children that would come to him to embrace him by faith. 1 Peter 2, verses 24 through 25 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds, we have been healed. For you were like straying sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Church, Jesus Christ paid it all. He paid it all. He paid it all. He paid it all. With His precious, spotless blood. And yet that blood was sufficient for all, but certainly not efficient for all. Because there remains a harsh reality. Hell is not an empty place. As in the day of Moses, when the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, today all kinds of people flock to Christ from every tribe, from every tongue, and every nation to be healed and to be saved from the sting and power of the serpent's bite which venom was sin, and that sin led to death. For those who come to Him by faith through grace now have sweet fellowship with the Father. You know, Christ was the light of the world that was needed in order to cast out the ruler of darkness forever. The sad thing is, in John 12, 34, the crowd missed that amazing truth. The crowd answered Him and said, We've heard from the law that Christ remains forever. But how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? You know, that's such a frightening perspective. To have access to God's Word and still miss it. To read the very Word of God and still not see God. Which means that you don't see Christ. The only explanation for such a blunder, as we will soon see later on in the chapter, is spiritual blindness. The crowd knew that the Old Testament Scriptures spoke of a king who would reign forever. You can see that in Exodus 15, 18. But they still couldn't see how other passages spoke of a Messiah that would have pierced hands and feet. It spoke of Him accomplishing such an eternal kingdom through the cross as seen in Psalms 22. Or in the prophecy spoken of in Isaiah 52 where Christ is depicted as a suffering servant of God Specifically, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. It appears that the crowd 
would rather have no Christ at all than a suffering one that would die lifted up on a tree. You know, Christ responded to their question, who is the Son of Man with a loving warning? Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have that light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the light, sorry, the one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you might actually become sons of light. I believe the sun, S-U-N, is a good illustration for this. You know, the sun produces its light through giving of itself. In fact, one day the sun will actually burn itself out. The light in the world won't last forever. Each day we're reminded of that truth by a sunset. The time to be drawn near to Christ will not last forever. Act now while you have that light shining the way to the Father. You know, as we close, I would like to give just three brief charges. Number one, to those in this room this morning who may be lost, to those in this room this morning who may be walking in darkness, Christ, the Son of Man, is the light of the world. Today we can see that light given off by the Word of God which the Father gave us as a lamp to illuminate the path to His loving arms. For Jesus Christ is the only way. I beg of you, while the light is shining, believe in that light that you might not just see it, but you might actually become sons of light. For God in James Chapter 1 is described as being the father of lights. He's the father of all creation. He created light when He spoke, let there be. You know, the sun will, will one day soon set. And our loving Heavenly Father doesn't desire for any of His children to be cast out in eternal darkness to a place that is void of all light an absence from all that is good. A place that is void of His presence. To the children of light, number two, to the children of light, to the brothers and sisters in Christ today who are currently in this room, I pray we would follow Christ's example. I pray that we would live our life in a manner that glorifies our Heavenly Father. Seek to serve others. Seek to save others. Save the lost. Even if it means at times you will suffer. By doing that, you will shine as a light for your Father's glory. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with that same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Our lives should no longer be about us. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. 2 Corinthians 4, 5-6 through 6 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We ourselves as your servant for Christ's sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ.
Lastly, to the fathers in the room, whether they be future fathers, whether they be spiritual fathers, whether they be earthly fathers, basically, let me simplify that, to the men who are in the room. Matthew Henry said in his commentary that Christ lifted up on that cross, drawing all people to Himself, is very much like a battle banner, which is lifted high to where soldiers could see it and they knew where they were needed to assemble and under times of war. Men, the hour has come. The hour is needed where we are to stand and fight through the strength and through the armor that God supplies. You know what? I want you to actually do that this morning. Please stand with me if you will. Men of the church, please stand where you're at in order for our church to pray over you. We need to understand that we don't have to fight for a place of victory. We fight from a place of victory. We fight from the cross. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, God, for being all that is good, for giving us Your Son, Father, to light the way, to show us, God, the example set before us. Father, our spirit is willing, but our flesh is so weak. We thank You and praise You, Father, for Your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Father, help us to be sons and daughters of light. Help us to lead others to You and to glorify You in all that we say and do. We ask this in Your Son's precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen.